welcome to True Crime or Tall Tale, the true crime podcast where I, Kat, or my co-host, Jacqueline, will tell you two stories of heinous crimes or dastardly figures. One case is true, the other, not so much. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm having a good time. I'm very excited for this. I'm very excited to unwind after a long day with your cases. I'm very, very happy to hear them. Hell yeah. I'm happy to tell them. (laughs) (laughs) I am really excited about this set of cases, you know. Last time, you discussed white-collar crimes, larceny. You gave us some nice definitions on the differences between robbery, burglary, and larceny. (laughs) I said that twice. And this time... I'm piggybacking off of that a little bit. All right, all right. I'm excited. Yeah. So your crimes were kind of more or less contemporary based. And I, with my penchant for (laughs) historical cases, (laughs) am asking you once again to step back in time with me. We'll hop in the time machine. Hop in our little time machine. So let's get into it. Today's theme is highway robbery. Ooh, I'm so excited! Though highway robbery has happened all over the world and throughout history, including many depictions sitting comfortably in the Americas and the Wild West, I see you Red Dead Redemption fans. (laughs) This time I'm talking about cases set specifically in 18th century England and Ireland. Though I have no doubts I could probably revisit this topic again, as we know, I have a penchant for historical cases. I will say, when I initially put this in the suggestion box, I was completely imagining Wild West Highway Robbery. So, (laughs) you're already off to a good start in terms of I probably don't know the cases. Hell yeah. So let's get into some history, some background knowledge, just to, you know, beef up this runtime. (laughs) (laughs) And also, you know, educate you a little bit if if you're not familiar. So, Highway Robbery is defined simply as the act of threatening or attacking travelers on the road and forcing them to hand over their goods, valuables, and possessions. Okay, okay. But, like, you in the last episode reminded me that robbery involves, you know, sort of an attack and, like, a witness to be there. While burglary is different. You can't highway burgle. What are you gonna do? Break into the covered wagons when everyone's sleeping? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, highway robbery. So, highway robbery has been a problem since the Middle Ages, right? But in the 1700s, there was a steep rise in its popularity, we'll say. (laughs) Love that. Right? So due to many, like, circumstantial reasons. One of those was urbanization. People were moving from the countryside into the cities and left lonely country roads, quiet and easy areas for sneaky crime. Oh. So it's like, we got a long countryside road to go on. Who knows who's going to be hiding behind a tree? They made back roads. (laughs) They made back roads, exactly. Trade also was on the increase during the 1700s. There was, like, a lot of, like, global trade going on, but also, like, inter-county trades and everything like that. So people would be traveling with all of their money and valuables on their persons because there was no modern-day bank cards, no debit cards. So it's an easy opportunity to get a payday when... You're traveling with all of your money in gold bars and jewelry. Right, something that's (laughs) virtually untraceable. Exactly. And, you know, you're traveling on these really unpopulated, very lonely country roads. Like, imagine, like, you know, like, the last building you you saw was, like, five miles ago or something like that. Right, you were going essentially through the woods and or just, like, open fields. Exactly. So it's a very easy opportunity for these bandits to get a payday. So there is a distinction between types of highway robbers. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so those that were on foot 
were known as footpads. Oh! Right? And those who had horses got the more glamorous title of highwayman or highwaymen. So, oh. if you so had a horse, you, you, ooh. You had leveled <laughs> up. You leveled up. Who wants to be known as a footbad when you can be a highwayman? Wait, so it's footpad. Pad with a P. Okay, I thought you said footbad for a while, and I'm like, now we're just insulting them. It can be an insult. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like, there almost is, like, a, a sense of, like, classism in that. Like, I've read, like, novels where they'll say, like, oh, it was just a common footpad. Ooh. Ooh, a common thief. A common thief. A common footpad. While, like, a highwayman. And I'll get into this in a second. Highwayman. So glamorous. You got a horse? You can make a quick getaway on a horse? Oh my god. <laughs> you so, have a ride? You got a ride? Count me in. So, the era of highway robbery came to an end around the turn of the 19th century, right? So, as more, like, patrols on those quiet roads uh, were enforced, and the banking system improved to a point where travelers needed not to carry around gratuitous sums of gold any longer, and bank checks became a thing. So, uh, around, like, the Regency era, think, like, you know, Pride and Prejudice, Mr. Darcy, that era was when, like, okay, this is gonna, this is gonna slow down a bit. Didn't write this down, but I believe the last, like, big, like, highwayman, like, sort of situation was, like, around the 1830s. Okay, So, okay. like, a little after the Regency period, but, like, it was like, all right, we're, we're not gonna really be able to do this anymore. It essentially went in, out of style. Yeah. In, like, in the way that it was happening, it just wasn't functioning that way anymore. So now let's get into like sort of the image of the highwayman, right? Ah, the legend. The, the legend. <laughs> the, the myth. The legend. The man himself. The man. The man's himself. Uh, so the image of the highwayman has infiltrated popular media with fictional figures such as Robin Hood and Zorro headlining the fantasy part of the genre. Ooh. Right? These particular bandits, those those two examples I gave, swashbuckling, suave, mm. and they also stole or committed crimes for the sake of the greater good. They became folk heroes. Folk heroes, exactly. Those two, as examples, have a lot of influence on our concept of highwaymen today. But bear in mind, despite the romance book cover with the strapping and oddly shirtless mass bandit <laughs> clutching the scantily clad woman, or <laughs> Or the Adam and the Ant song, Stand and Deliver, the real highway robbers were, more often than not, killers, rapists, and altogether bad people looking to earn a quick lot by breaking the law. Not to be romanticized. Not to be romanticized. But I'm going to talk in these cases about how both figures are romanticized. So. Oh, Okay. So this is like a very like a different way of sort of approaching this like true crime tall tale, but like you know still our same formula, obviously. <laughs> We've but, got one trick, yeah. But perspective also has a foothold on this topic too. So oh. so not just this over romanticizing based off of oh my god, what a striking dark silent solemn figure. Perspective, you know, has its day in the sun. The idea of the criminal turned cultural hero is prevalent in some stories of highway robbers in British. Occupied Ireland, acts of robbery were often a rebellious tradition of resistance against their British oppressors. Though the acts committed were definitely crimes, perspective turns the stories into that of heroic deeds. Right, it's the rebellion against an oppressor. Right, exactly. The romantic and heroic overtones often overshadow the history, but keep us coming back. Just like how with pirates, which we will talk about later this season. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. I'm <laughs> going to talk about pirates. Uh, the fantasy version captivates us, but so should the true facts. And today we're going to talk about some of those fantastical and factual figures. Oh. Now, a little fair warning. 
Both of these stories about highwaymen are going to be pretty similar, since they're crimes of robbing people at gunpoint um, on the highway, follow primarily the same routine, you know? There's not much nuance you can get with, I'm hiding behind a tree on my horse, and I'm going to go <laughs> stand and deliver your money or your life behind a tree. Like, there's, there's a reason there's, like, these quotations that are almost quintessential to the highway robbers, <laughs> because they kind of follow the same formula. Listen, no one's an original. Be that as it may, the deaths of these figures are really different. Oh. They tell their life stories. Who would have thought we'd talk about death on our show? <laughs> on our true crime podcast. Who the fuck? You ready? Yes. Awesome. So, let's get into case number one. I called this one, What a Dick. <laughs> <laughs> so. Is his name Richard? No, it's not. Oh, good. <laughs> no, it's not. But damn, I hate him. So, Ignatius Iggy Adams was born in Essex, England in 1705. He was the son of a butcher and later apprenticed as a butcher in his teenage years. Okay. Right? So he's used to blood. <laughs> he's used to blood. Uh, but perhaps the young and pernicious Iggy Adams felt idle following such a restricted and simple path. By the early 1730s, Adams had taken up with a gang called the Gregory Gang and began poaching in the nearby forest with them alongside robbing houses and striking relative fear into the community. You know, wreaking havoc. Of course, of course. When you say poaching in the nearby forest. Yes. Like, literally poaching animals? Or? Yes. Okay. Yes, literally poaching animals. During, like, the 1700s and early, like, 1800s, poaching is a capital offense. Oh, so many things are a capital offense. But poaching... Not to do a lot. Poaching was a common... I'm, gonna, I'm loath to call it a pastime, but... Petty it's, offense or a capital like crime? A, it's a capital crime, but it's a petty offense that, like, literally everyone and their mother was, like, doing it. Like, we're so poor! Gotta start poaching so I can feed my family. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you just, just gotta poach, man. But, you know, he takes up with, like, a gang and just starts being a rustabout. A rabble rouser, really. <laughs> by poaching and just robbing houses and, like, causing mischief and mayhem, really. But it wasn't long after causing this mischief and mayhem in the immediate vicinity surrounding Essex, England, that the gang would eventually be bashed apart by law enforcement. The other members of this Gregory gang were arrested and tried, but Iggy escaped persecution by escaping further into the countryside to pursue a, pursue a life of robbing coaches. He said, if I can't live freely as a poacher, I shall then go further into crime and make <laughs> Make my living as a highwayman. I will now rob people at gunpoint while they're vulnerably traveling on the road. All because someone dared to try to arrest me. Yes. <laughs> you tried to arrest me? Nuh-uh. He partnered with a friend by the name of Nate Prince. What a good friend. Right? What a good pal. And began robbing stagecoaches and private carriages on the road, right? While in the pursuit of purloining passengers of their pocket watches and valuables, killing innocents obviously was collateral damage. So when those who would not listen to the money or your life quotation, the men really meant business on that. So most people would cough up the money during the course of their efforts. But Adams like killed two people overall while robbing their coaches. Like, is this over the span of like a few years? Or it's like yeah, it's like a year. Like he started like doing this like poaching in like the 1730s. So he was like he was like 31 ish maybe when like he like went to like being like a highwayman. Okay, and you said 1730s. So it was about a hundred years before the end of the yeah. era. Okay, yeah. I just want to make sure I heard that right. Yeah. So yeah, he he like he popped two people. Like people like didn't listen. Listen, two people in a year or so is still too too many. It's still too too many. Like most people, when you know, engaged by a highwayman, 
will be like, yes, I would like to keep my life. Here is your cash. And would be left on their merry way. But, you know, there are the people that, you know, struggled. And he went, nah, uh, uh, and popped them off, you know? Goes the weasel. Lord. I know. I mean, it's, it's like, it's like the robbery training at a bank. They're like, don't be a hero. Give them what they want. Get them out of here. Yeah. You'd, you'd much rather keep your life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, the scores gotten from robbing coaches led Adams to becoming quite wealthy. Oh. Privately, he cared about his looks a lot. <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> and often was called the gentleman robber. What? I know. He wore brocades and fine fabrics when he robbed coaches and wore a mask to obscure his face. Right? But people knew it was him because it was like the area upon which he was like Right. Like I feel in. like you can only have so many highwaymen operating in one place. Right. He was tall and described as 6'2 and handsome with roguish black eyes. That they just see through the mask. Dorini. Am I right? Um, perhaps he stole a few hearts in addition to some wallets, huh? Huh? <laughs> so corny. It was an easy lifestyle that he pursued, but, like, easy despite being constantly on the run. Yes. Like, to me, that just seems so tiring. Like, to constantly, like, you can't really, like, live that lavishly if you're on the run. Well, just, like, you can't relax. Like, yes, you could. Could he even go to the local pub and buy a round? Or did everyone literally know he was a bandit? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But his days as a highwayman were coming to a close. So in March or April, it's kind of unclear, uh, in 1737, outside of Whitechapel. (gasps) I know. You had to tie this in. My favorite place. (laughs) But not. <laughs> I know, I've never been. Um, I literally have in parentheses. Outside of Whitechapel in London. Ooh, Whitechapel! <laughs> You're um, such a Jack the Ripper nerd. I know. So you remember his, his pal, Nate Prince, right? Yes, yes, the good awesome. buddy. The, the, good, the good buddy who, you know, helps him kill and rob people. Yeah, who agreed to... You know, crime for friendship. Yeah. He stole a horse. Ooh, he that's d- that's real bad back then. That's like, you get hanged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> Does he literally get hanged? <laughs> so, uh, yes, thank you for using the right term. He's not hung. I mean, maybe he is, but <laughs> we'll move on from that. <laughs> so the crime of this horse being stolen was reported. So Adams was equally thrown under the bus for, you know. Oh, for the horse? For this horse stealing. Yeah. Well, oh. I mean, I mean, they're partners in crime, Jack. I mean, I just figure only one person can steal a horse, but, you know, maybe you fit two on that. You know, it's like, it's like the, hey, a horse has been stolen. I think it's that guy and his buddy who steal horses and shit. So the horse was actually tracked to the Red Lion Inn. And authorities descended on it, on that day. And they waited for Prince and Adams to arrive. Nate Prince was shot and killed on sight. Oh! But Adams fled. He was like, I'm out of here. I'm he's not following. real good at that. No! He's, he's like, shockingly good at this. At running away from his problems. Uh-huh. And this is where, like, his, like, famous ride to York, which is 200 miles away, and he did that in a single day to escape the law. Did he break his horse's back? Apparently this horse was so notoriously fast. Her name was White Willa. White Willa. White Willa. I love her. Does she live? (laughs) Yes. Okay. As as far as I know. So, like, this seems so outlandishly impossible. 200 miles in one day. But, like, listen, it takes me six hours to drive 300 miles today. Right? So, like, mmm, I'm not sure about this. I feel like, realistically, this wouldn't have happened, but who am I? Oh, do you think someone has embellished after the fact? (sighs) 
who's to say? <laughs> so, while away in, in York or Yorkshire, Adams hid himself underneath a false name. Oh, uh, what do you use? Of Jacob Hansen. I know. I know. It's it's a very it's very basic name. That's I guess generic is good. Generic is good, it, I guess, it, if you're trying to like it just feels restart like your life. When you walk up to a hotel and they ask for your this is like you walk to a motel, they don't ask for a credit card. They're like, Hey, please sign in and you're like Smith. You're like Jane Doe. And they're yeah. like <laughs> you're like, great name, kid. Great, yeah. great name. So he took up his false name of Jacob Hansen. And here, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna, like, restart his life. You know, right? Let's start over. He's gonna, here he's going to take up the career of horse thief. Very glamorous. That's not that different And also not that different before. from what he did before. He has not- <laughs> one wheelhouse. He only knows how to do crime. Only thing. One thing, you know? It's also around this time, and under his false name of Jacob Hansen, that he befriended a local aristocrat. Aristoc- a local aristocrat. We're not watching the Aristocats right now. Nope, not yet. <laughs> not yet. There's crime. There is crime in the Aristocats. He attempted to play matchmaker for a young couple in this manor house, the Rockwood Manor. Wait, so he is now horse thief slash matchmaker. Slash matchmaker. I know. Can this man pick a lane? I know. He's just like, I'm gonna like rub elbows with like, like hobnom with the, the, the rich and famous and everything while also still just stealing horses and random shit. Here's my, here's my off the wall question. Um, how many, like, does he sell the horses like you would a car if you stole it? Yeah. Because how many horses can you steal if you're one person? So typically, like, uh, with stealing things. I I don't really know how it how it works with the the stealing of horses, but I know when he was like robbing like goods and stuff, typically you'll have what is called a fence, who is a person who will resell your stolen goods. Oh, it's like the reverse of the plug. Yeah. It is the reverse <laughs> of a plug. You got a fence. <laughs> Um, someone that, like, you are, like, working alongside, so to speak, that will mm-hmm. resell those goods. Okay. I don't know how it works for horses. See, I mean, as it, they might sell off it, the horse. It seems like everyone's like, so-and-so stole my horse and I saw them do it. No one's <laughs> stealing horses under the cover of I, darkness, apparently. I just, I don't, I don't understand horse stealing, really. But, okay. Circling back to him befriending this, like, couple and playing matchmaker at this mansion house, right? He decided to take a bet against himself, you know? Because, like, they were, like, drinking, as you do. And, like, the wealthy guy, his name is escaping me and I didn't write it down. Um, You didn't write down one of the characters? I didn't write down one of the names. (laughs) I'm gonna say Mr. Rockwood because I wrote down Rockwood Manor and... It's a false name anyway, it's fine. And he decided to take a bet against himself. Like, they're drinking and everything, and, like, Mr. Rockwood goes, Hey, Hanson, you hear about this, this thief, Iggy Adams? Do not tell me he promised someone he would capture himself. He did. (laughs) I'm sorry. He did. This, we've entered stupid criminal session. He did. So he, he takes that bet against himself, saying he would catch the fiend, and he leaves. Needless to say, he does not make good on that bet, and he does not come back. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'll do that, and then he went, shit, 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 shit. No, no, he said, I shall capture him and ride him off into the sunset. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then he went, mm-hmm. 
well, that was fun having rich friends for a while, for like a minute. It's thing when you're on the run under an assumed name. You just, you gotta keep moving. You can't stay in place too long. They'll get you. You gotta hop from place to place. You gotta zig your zag. All right. So now it's 1738. All right. And Jacob Hansen has been having a grand old time being a horse thief when not canoodling with some lords and ladies and making friends in high places. Fucking wild. <laughs> he's, he's, he's trying to live the best of both worlds. Right? You know, you can't keep a... Is it a dead dog or a dead horse down? What? what? <laughs> Never mind. I don't know what quotes are. Um, <laughs> can't keep a good what? dog down? I don't know. I'm, I'm reaching. Anyway, he goes back to his old poaching ways. Oh, something he knows. I know. Oh my god, he only knows crime. And at this point, he shoots and kills someone else's chicken. I thought you were going to say someone else. Okay, a chicken. A, a chicken. chicken is dead. Okay. A chicken. And for this offense, of all of his offenses, he is caught and arrested, and the exterior he of He is his- caught for the chicken. Of everything that he could have ca- gotten caught for, all of his weird escapes, like, oh, the horse thing and my friend Nate Prince gets killed? Not that. I shot a chicken. This, I will say, this is so similar to, like, when serial killers get arrested for a speeding ticket or something yes! like, out like that, and then they, they find all of the evidence to prove they're yes, killing people. exactly. Exactly that. And so it's at this point that his falsified life and that exterior starts to crumble. All of the edges start to fall apart. He can't run anymore. He's done running from his problems. He's done. He can't. He's... He doesn't have a horse to run these problems out. <laughs> he don't get very far. But. Yeah. yeah he, he's a foot pad now. <laughs> so he is arrested. He is thrown in prison. Yes. In prison, he attempts to write a letter to his brother-in-law. Yes. He has siblings. And the siblings get married. The siblings have gotten married. He's just living a life of crime. But he attempts to write a letter to his brother-in-law. This letter was intercepted by the postman. And the postman recognizes his handwriting. This is not Jacob Hansen's handwriting. <gasps> this is Iggy Adams' handwriting. Wait, okay, so Jacob Hansen is arrested for killing a chicken, and also they say, we also think you're a horse thief. But they hadn't connected him to his old identity. Yes. Oh my god, and the postman gets it? The postman gets it, and you want to know why? The Did post- Iggy write a stupid amount of letters? The postman taught Iggy how to write. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. Does he have the so, local school just saying, we don't know how to write kids? Well, no, I think I think they were schoolmates. And, like, he grew up and went to oh, the Oh, the same age. And they're the same age. Oh, my God. So his old schoolmate, who helped him learn how to write, because apparently he write. was behind in school. Yeah. Well, was, I mean, he turned to a life of kind. Yeah. Draw your own conclusions. His old mate said, I That's, know that handwriting. I taught that handwriting. I taught that handwriting. So now he's identified as Iggy Adams. And so he's identified and a whole slew of other crimes get tossed upon his plate and he is sentenced to death. You know, horse thief is a capital offense. You said that. It is. <laughs> and he's, he's charged for being like a horse thief. So he did receive some visitors before his execution. His father begged him to pray to God for forgiveness. Right? Wants him to be saved. Wants him to be saved. You know, like, you're gonna die, you're gonna meet your maker anyway, you might as well, like, repent a little bit. Instead, Adams did not do this. In true gentleman robber fashion, he bought himself a new frock coat and shoes to look dashing for his death. He still has money? (laughs) And he hired five mourners to be there and cry for him for, like, three shillings. I- Was it normal for the people dying- to hire the mourners? I thought that's something your family did for you. He hired the mourners. He was wow. a gentleman robber to his death. That's 
There's just something so outlandish and also, you know, incredibly morbid and in some ways sad about hiring mourners for your own death slash funeral. Right? Who does that? I'd I'd do that. (laughs) Okay, but darling, you're beloved. People will cry plenty for free. Mm, That's that's true, but like... Wouldn't it be kind of funny to have, like, random strangers there being like, who are these people? And they're just wailing. They're like, oh my god! It'd be very, what a loss! be very dramatic. We'd think you had a second life. Right? It would just add to the scandal. Add to my legend. But with that, that is the end of case one. Iggy Adams. You know what I realized? We never did wine. I literally was just thinking about that because <laughs> I was sitting on the wine. So, and it's a rosé! Oh my god! <laughs> Oh, it's white and red. It's for Pride Month. Oh my god. There's some ASMR for you. We didn't need the pliers this time. I love that you've got a... We did not. Glass full of ice to just sip straight from the bottle. (laughs) This is really the ASMR no one wants. It really is. No one asked for it. No one wants it. Mm, This is like a medium, medium sweet, medium... Like a... This is the middle of the road, like, semi-dry, semi-sweet. Yeah. Like, right down the middle. I don't hate it. Mm -mm. It's not, like, the sweetest, like, most, like, I don't know, you know how some rosés are, like, very, almost, like, strawberry-esque? Yes. This is very, it's just, it's just pink-colored. Yeah. Sorry, to clarify on my It's Pride Month comment, I've always considered rosé, like, it's it's neither a red, it's neither a white. It's in the oh, middle. You, it's like the bisexuals. It's the bi wine. Yes! I never thought of that. See, I was confused. I just let you have it. I was like, okay, I guess Rosé is gay now. <laughs> you ready to continue on with our stories? Yes, absolutely. Amazing. So let's get into case number two, right? This one I've titled The Robin Hood of Kildare. Oh. I know. It sounds so fancy. <laughs> you know how I said earlier in our introduction that acts of highway robbery were often romanticized depending on which side of history you were on? Yes. Yeah. And I mentioned British rule in Ireland. Mm, yeah. Was that on purpose? It was on purpose. It was totally on purpose. Because I had a story about it. I love when you drop Easter eggs like that. So do I. For some history, I know I'm going back and doing more more, more background history a little bit. For some history, British rule in Ireland began as early as the 12th century, with the Anglo-Norman invasion of Ireland at the behest of the English king at the time. I did not research which king that was. I was a little on the lazy side. I mean, it's England. There's a bunch. There's a bunch. I, I have a song for that. Don't you dare. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, moving forward. Uh, the occupation of Ireland has spanned over several centuries and involved control of either parts of Ireland or the entire whole of Ireland at different times in history. Due to this, there is a history bred into the Irish heritage of a distaste for British monarchy and a consistent buy for freedom, you know? Half of the freaking like, Irish songs out there are like, fuck the Brits! <laughs> yeah! Um, like, I'm Irish. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't think that's, like, a Um, (laughs) deep-seated secret. It's not a deep-seated secret. (laughs) Most places that are colonized tend to not like the people who did it. So there's that consistent vibe for freedom and independence. And it's seen in various uprisings over the centuries, including the Irish Rebellion of 1798 and the Easter Rebellion of 1916, only to name a few. Okay. 
Um, Easter Rebellion 1916. There are so many Irish songs specifically about that one. I bet they're bangers. <laughs> they are. I, I love Irish music. <laughs> so this narrative of rebellion will feel a little familiar to you, Jack, because you, you understand, like, Outlander. Yes. Right? You know, that sentiment of uh, oppressed by an outsider, the local sentiments against British rule and, like, soldiers. Just imagine, like, the same exact time period and the same, like, sentiments, but... Of season one? Yeah, like of, like, season one. Okay. But, like, change the accent <laughs> and, and and the island. It's It's... It's, it's the other one. Ireland now stands as its own independent republic. Northern Ireland, though, remains considered part of the UK. But let's step back in time. Alright, hop back in the time machine. Pop back in the, my, my little time machine. So, let's get into our, our case proper, right? Yes, yes, yes. Alright, so, Christopher Kit Noyes was born in Dublin, Ireland in 1719 to Margaret and Connor Noyce. It's unclear whether his birth date was September 16th or if that was his day of christening. Records weren't really fully clear. I feel like people used those somewhat interchangeably back then. Yeah, exactly. I literally say not like records are not clear and not much else is known about his childhood because poor in the 1700s. Like right, like you have to do things <laughs> in order for it to be on record. You got to be wealthy for really things to be like Heavily recorded, like, in early childhood. Yeah. So his father was a blacksmith, and later Kit also took up the trade. Funny how that happens, because also our our boy Iggy Adams was like, Dad was a butcher, I'll be a butcher. Anyway, butcher makes a butcher, blacksmith makes blacksmith. We like blacksmiths. Will Turner. Yeah, Will Turner. Blacksmith. I know. Dashing. But this was short-lived. Okay, okay. He doesn't stick with the trade. He doesn't stick with the trade. But unlike Iggy Adams on how it was sort of, eh, Devil may care. I'm gonna do it on my own way. Life kind of slapped noise in the face. Wait, what's his name again? Christopher or Kit Noise. Oh, okay. Sorry, um, go on. I just forgot. Yeah, noise is spelt really weird. It's like N-O-Y-E-S. Ah. Uh, so it looks like a real last name. Sounds made sounds up. Like, sounds, sounds like a made up last name. It's, it's not noise like sound. It's noise like a name, unless it's pronounced something completely differently. Um, I didn't look up pronunciation. I kind of just guessed. Let him yell. <laughs> Let him yell, she says. <laughs> so, him being a blacksmith is short-lived. We're still working on that sentence. By the time he was 21 in the 1740s, both of his parents were dead, and his forge had been lost due to heavy taxation by the British. Heavy taxation by the British? Yeah. Okay. Brits and their taxes, man. That's that's why we had a revolution! Thousands of dollars worth of tea into a harbor. Woo! And so, much like our previous case, Kit turned to a life of crime to make mm. ends meet. He began, very similar to Iggy Adams, robbing houses and farms of their goods, but found quickly that he could not remain in one place if he continued the same way. You know, people start to recognize a face if you keep robbing their houses and live in the town. Oh, right, and, like, you're robbing their house. You're not, these people aren't then moving on to the next town. Exactly. They're in, they're in one place, you're in one place. You're gonna run into each other. Exactly. It's like you're friends from high school after you graduate college. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Scary. No, thank you. Shout um, out to Shalik. <laughs> Woo-hoo! I woo as if I went there, too. No. I did not. We drove into their parking lot, though, when we visited Jersey. We did. You showed me all of the cool spots. Which is just where I ran out of gas in my own town. Yeah. So he, you know, left the Dublin area and headed more towards, like, the lonely countryside near Kildare. Okay, okay. And, like, Kit and Kildare. Some nice alliteration. So here in the outskirts of Kildare, 
Kit partnered with two people, Eliza Riley, who would act as his fence, uh, the person who would resell the stolen goods and fetch the profit, and Killian Webster, who joined him on the road to rob at gunpoint. Webster had owned a tavern in Kildare, and that is where the trio based their operations. Oh, okay. Webster supplied the guns and the storage in, like, the taproom for the illicit goods. This partnership worked for a good while, until 1745, when they were caught moving smuggled goods from the cellar by British soldiers who had stormed the tavern, oh. led by a Lieutenant Mills. Okay. Both Eliza and Webster were arrested and subsequently executed for theft and robbery. Oh. Yeah. So he lost both his partners. He lost both of his partners. Okay, okay. Noyce was alone again, having had escaped the law by being away, robbing yet another carriage. Wait, on purpose, or he happened he to be away when they be, got caught? He just happened to be away oh. when they got caught. So, like, Eliza was at the tavern with Webster, and Webster and Eliza were, like, moving, like, the goods. Like, Noise was like, I'm gonna go and catch another fucking haul. Right, they were dealing with the loot they already had. Like, Webster, when I say that, like, Webster, like, would also help on the road and rob at gunpoint. It's for, like, bigger, like, sort of, like, planned approaches and mm-hmm. attacks. So he was away robbing yet another carriage. He needed to find a new fence, otherwise all of this stealing would be for, for naught. You know, you kind of need that sort of outside hand to, like, help with the operations. Because, like, right. if you're stealing the goods and also reselling them, your face gets known everywhere. Right, and then I feel like people associate the goods with being stolen if the same person they're buying from has their face on posters saying... He robbed the stagecoach. Stage yeah, you need a middleman. Right. So now it makes Kit Noise such a celebrated and perfectly romanticizable figure is that he supposedly only attacked British coaches. Oh, so you get the Irish folks. So, so you get to get on your side. They're like, fuck the British. Like, whether or not that actually is, is true, the, the supposed, like, proposal of that is enough to just sort of add that, like, he's a hero! Right, like, whether he said that or whether people, for a reason, wanted to be on his side and use that as an excuse, yeah. it gets people on board. It does. It does. So it kind of adds to that that folk hero thing. Like, it's impossible to prove, but that's exactly, like, what, like, would solidify him as a folk hero to the then-occupied Irish populace. And, like, in, like, further generations, too. Like, you can, like, look back on it and be like, wow, he was such a hero. But um, I think that's how you kind of get folk heroes, is that passage of time, you forget the immediate, he killed a few people, and those families are very upset, and then you get more of, oh, well, you know, he robbed the British, and we're still mad at them. So this <laughs> works still, out for us. We're still mad at them. So, yeah, this is, like, what gives him that sort of, like, Robin Hood-style, like, roguish sort of archetype. Despite, you know killing, robbing, maiming, and other not-so-good things to his fellow man, you know? Yes. Doing doing really bad deeds. Living the life of crime. Exactly. Like, frustration with the British rule over his country and how the heavy taxes could have been, like, could have led to the loss of his livelihood, blacksmithing. Mm-hmm. It could seem almost poetic to attribute that heroism to him. Like, oh, that makes sense. Yes, it's, like, part revenge, also part to the British, deal with the monster you created. Yeah, but, like, bear in mind, he killed multiple people while, like, robbing carriages, including a British officer by the name of Captain George Webb. Oh. Yeah, who was in pursuit of him on on the high road. This only added to his infamy, so, like, people would be like, he's a murderer, he killed this, like, captain. Oh, yeah, it gave him shit. But also... 
there's like you know Irish people that are fr- like upset, being like, "Well, it was a British captain, so <laughs> hell's to ya." Oh my um, goodness! Like, and this is like this only adds to his infamy and adds to the blur of what is history and what is exaggerated legend. You know? Gotcha. There's not much else to say. Like on his crimes is like more or less like highwaymen attacks go the same way. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to, like, sound too, too repetitive, but, like, you know, you're robbing at gunpoint on a lonely, darkened road. Other than the the concept that he is attacking just carriages of British traders, merchants, noblemen, and every- only British people on their way to or from Dublin, there were reports of some, like, crime. There's not much to really note. Just, like, a little, like, fun tidbit. Freaking people in the 1700s were true crime junkies. <laughs> like, just- just so you know, like, there are, like, here's the here's the thing. I'm not going into super, like, detail on, like, specific, like, reports of, like, these, like, cases. Because, like, again, more or less it's the same thing. Like, this bu- fucker stole my horse and he robbed me at gunpoint while I was traveling. Right. But there were, like, clear reports. Uh, people were telling others what People were telling them. others what would happen. And also, later on, and typically posthumously, like, there would be biographies written about criminals because people of this time were like, I want to read about these criminals. There was always a fascination. And it's like, it's well, so- it reminds you of the Penny Dreadfuls. Yeah. But like, these biographies would be like, mostly fact, but a lot of them would be like, exaggerated. I'm sure they were flowery. It's like fan fiction. <laughs> Jesus. But I just think that's kind of comforting. And also, it's, it's what gave way to, to like- novels really because like at this time period there weren't really like novels in like the 1700s like there was like maybe a few but like most things were like biographies so the exaggeration like gave way to like novels right it so it allowed people to explore fiction but not yeah but so as much as people wanted like the fact they also wanted like legendary feats you know so there's not much to say on his crimes most highwayman attacks are more or less Go the same way. There were plenty of reports, but I'm not going to go too, too in-depth on them. But there's one supposed venture where Kit, according to legend, while robbing a carriage, instead of purloining their valuables and coin, he asked specifically for blue bonnets, also known as lupins. They're a type of conical-shaped flower that comes in, like, multiple colors. He, according to speculation, intended to gift these flowers to a lover. Really? Yeah. Huh. <laughs> there's, there's, there's some, yeah. It seems so strange to potentially risk your life and, you know, add another thing to your rap sheet just to get a, a gift. Like, like, they're flowers, right? Yeah, they're flowers. Oh, just flowers. They're flowers. Okay. There's some speculation, and this adds to that sort of, like, this is why he's a folk hero, and this is why Well, it's he... easy to romanticize romance. Uh, well, yeah, but some say that he didn't strip these travelers of their valuables because they were Irish and not British. Okay, so he, you so, know, pulled the gun on them, realized who he was dealing with, and said, well, I gotta take something, but I don't want to rob, it was rob almost, you. It was almost like asking for just a flower was, like, a way of inspiring their loyalty. Like, you're not wow. gonna turn on this guy who just asked for a flower. It's like, I can see where, like, they took the story and ran with it, but but also, I'm like manipulative. I know. I'm like really. You're like, I'm a good guy. I may have pulled a gun on you, but I only wanted a flower. I only wanted some flowers to give to my lady love. You know. Yeah, it's like from a different lens. It's so cringe. Yeah, it's <laughs> from a different lens. It is totally cringe. <laughs> let's let's dunk on this guy. Am I right? 
So whether or not the story of the flowers is true, or merely legend, it was pretty well known that Kit Noyes had a tryst with an innkeeper's daughter. Oh, okay, that's canon. Uh, that is canon! <laughs> it's for a very clear reason why. So, this inn was owned and operated by Owen Quinn. Okay. Uh, the name of the inn was the Eagle's Nest Inn, oh. and his daughter's name was Lorena. Oh, that's so sweet. And... Why am I bringing up specific details about the innkeeper and his daughter? Well, it's because we're getting to the end of our tale here. Ooh. And this is how our highwayman gets caught. Because of a girl? Because of a girl. And it's not the way you think it is. So, it's a winter's night, mid-December of 1745. Again, love the 1700s for having unclear records. Some <laughs> say it's December 12th. Other reports say December 15th. I hate smudge printing presses and quill pens so much. <laughs> it makes being factual so difficult. So Kit Noyes visits the Eagle's Nest Inn to chat with the owner, Owen Quinn, who has been operating as his new fence after the loss of his original crew. Okay, so the, the inn owner's in on the gist. Not yeah. The, in on the... Oh yeah, he's in on it. He's okay. in on it. And so is the daughter Lorena. Oh, okay. She knows, you know, she's, she's not, not she's not operating under any pretense. No, no, no. She she knows who her criminal lover is. Mm. You know, they're not good people here. Um, so Kit reportedly had a little thing going on with Owen's daughter, Lorena, and he promises that he's going to return with so much gold following evening. Ah. Uh. He's supposedly going after and robbing a standing member of the British peerage, a Lord Twimbley. A lord. A lord who is traveling from his country estate to Dublin to check on his banking ventures. I know. Banks are new here. I'd say you can't just call him up and say, hey, how's my account? Can't just call him up. He has to go. He discusses this plan with Owen and plan to return the following evening with the spoils to then be hidden in the floorboards of Lorena's room. We love a good floorboard. We love a good floorboard. Uh, <laughs> creeping it creaky. <laughs> <laughs> that goes on merch. <laughs> keeping it creaky. Keep in mind, this uh, public house is frequented by many, many travelers on the road. It's still in an isolated area, but like it's still frequented by many travelers. It's gotcha. just, it's just like the one place for miles, you know. Right, like people go there because there's nowhere else there's to nowhere go. Nowhere else to go. It's like the last stop where it's like you gotta stop somewhere and it's gonna be here. But many travelers, including those with more British sympathies, oh, uh oh, but in revolution terms, loyalists, oh, basically, yeah. <laughs> so one such sympathetic patron overhears this conversation between our our highwayman and the innkeeper and it is the fatal mistake for kit noise the oh. innkeeper and his beautiful daughter of course she has to be beautiful oh naturally naturally on the following night a troop of king george's men led by captain lawrence sheffield captain of dragoons went to the inn having suspected this being the current house of operations for kit noise and after they heard the tip from the eavesdropping patron, whose name has been lost to history, they decided to set a trap for the highwayman. Oh, they trap him. They trap him. They arrest the innkeeper, but they tie up his daughter to use as bait. What? Mm-hmm. So she, these are British officers. These are British officers. Okay, questionable choices. Questionable moving choices. Moving on. But like, like also like Owen Quinn and his daughter Lorena Quinn are 
the Irish. Listen. So there's a little level of, like, a power play going on here. Right, and I understand that they are partaking in criminal activity. I just think if she's, you know, a young woman in your group of British officers, I think it's kind of rude to tie her up and use her as bait instead of, you know, arresting her. Like, normal. Yeah, she's, like, 17, 18, or 19. Yes. Uh, it's unclear, but, like, she's in that, like, range. Mm-hmm. But they use her as bait by holding her hostage and tying a gun to her. What? Like, a big, like, musket. Who the fuck sanctioned this? Uh, uh, Captain Lawrence Sheffield, Captain of Dragoons. Wasn't Black Jack Randall? He was also Captain of Dragoons. Oh, right, that's all I, I just, need to I know. I literally was like, just, just think of Randall for a fucking minute. <laughs> put, put yourself in... And, but, like, here's the thing. Kit's still a bad guy who's killed multiple people. Oh, I don't have sympathy for Kit. I have a little sympathy for the daughter. I do have sympathy I just, for I'm the like, daughter. this is questionable practice like, for probably, official men. Like, girl, you don't need to be in love with this criminal. He is not the love of your He's life. He's not the love of your life. He's just a guy. So, in an attempt to save her criminal lover, like, she's, this girl's down bad. It's unfortunate. Oh. Um, Honey bunches. There's he, better people. Need I remind you, Kit was supposed to come to the inn that evening again after having robbed that Lord Twimbley. With another hall. With another hall, right? And so she knows that he's going to be like arriving any minute. <sighs> if the if the if the hall went well, he would be coming any moment. So she's bound with the gun, sort of If you tell me that she sets the gun off on purpose to warn him. Is that what she does? She sets the gun off on purpose to warn him. Honey bunches. I know. I know. I know. So I'm so upset for her. I'm upset for her. He was not Um, worth it. He's not worth it. He's absolutely not worth it. So she can reach the trigger. She can reach the trigger and in an attempt to warn Kit of the impending danger at the inn, she wiggles her hand free, and sets the musket off, and she shoots herself. And she dies. And she dies. Oh my she god. She is dead. Kit, who was approaching the eagle's nest in as planned, after successfully robbing Lord Twimbley on the road, hears the gunshot. The British see him, but he hears the gunshot and turns his horse the other direction. So they can give chase, but he has a head start. He has a head start. Oh my god. He has a head start. And he d- he doesn't know that the gunshot fatally wounded his his lover, like Lorena. He just knows that that means trouble. I probably shouldn't approach if the if a gun has gone off. Okay, you said we didn't need the get comfy to get uncomfy. I'm un- I'm upset. I'm so sorry. Th- this has upset me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I have upset you. He did sort of was able to like hide for a hot minute. He hid in like the nearest barn he could find, uh, like away from the British. But his fleeing attempt was in. In vain. The British troop, led by Captain Sheffield, pursued him on the road and found him in the morning after. In an attempt to arrest Kit there was a struggle, and he was killed by a gunshot wound on the highway. He was killed then and there. He didn't get a trial. He didn't get nothing. Due to, like, a struggle on the road. He's a hotly wanted man. Yeah. And he's on on the run. So, yeah. He was on the run, and, like, he was pursued, found, and shot like the bastard dog he is. And, uh, that's, that's the end of Christopher Noyes and his tale. There's, <laughs> there's not much else to say, you know? I couldn't find anything that said, like, whether or not, like, he was, like, hung up on, like, a gibbet or anything, because I know that they would posthumously do that, especially with pirates. Similar time period. 
you know, mm-hmm. any criminals, you would, like, sort of, like, put their corpse decaying as, like, a warning. But, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think you can see where, like, a lot of things in that could in- inspire such a, a Robin Hood-type story. Yeah. But it's well, and a, like, little, people, a little less glamorous. People are suckers for what they think is a great love story. But I'm also, like, this should not have happened. It shouldn't have happened. Girl was down bad for the wrong type of guy. See, I'm like, I want her full story. I feel bad for her. I feel bad for her. But, like, there's not much known. I mean, it's the 1700s, and literally, like, if her dad's, like, an innkeeper, there's not much record other than, like, her name and, like, her christening date. Okay, so now I have to deliberate. All right, well, now it's time for you to determine which one was the true crime and which one was the tall tale. Hey folks, before we give our big reveal, pause and go to our Instagram at True Crime or Tall Tale Podcast, comment on this episode's post, and tell us which case you think is the true crime and which one is the tall tale. Then tune back in to see if you were right. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. All right, all right, folks. Here's what you did great with these cases. If you you set them up to say history has made them these folk tales. So any of the very outlandish things where I'm like, that couldn't have happened. I'm like, well, it might not have, but this is still might be the true crime because we are getting a tale lost to time in a way. We're getting a tale altered by time. I did that deliberately, so I'm not helping you out at all. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just, I'm giving myself an out for if I get this wrong. Um, my first thought is um, the guy in the first case, his nickname, the gentleman robber or mm-hmm. what have you. I feel like I've, heard that term before in terms of a highwayman but then you I didn't hear any of the details I was familiar with in terms of that turn of phrase and also I'm quite sure he was in the wild west don't quote me on that I say to a microphone (laughs) (laughs) so that one made me think maybe that's the true crime and you know it has just been altered via our format um okay this is not my final answer. This okay. is this is me musing. Oh, okay. Keep um, musing. I'll look this way. <laughs> and then the second one, it's the love story. It's the she sacrifices herself for him that feels so tall tale. That feels like it was written. But I'm always hung up by that. These are folk heroes or folk stories told again and again with embellishments. So, hmm. The f- First one kind of feels a little more true to me because of like how many times he moved around. And honestly, I don't know if anyone could come up with the postman recognized his writing. To me, I'm like, that seems like something so outlandish you couldn't make it up. Alright, I wanna go with my gut on this. I'm ready to get my final answer. Okay. I think case number one is the true crime, and case number two is the tall tale. Alright. A drum roll, please. You are right. So, case number one, <laughs> you even said, oh, is his name Richard? <laughs> and I went, no. no. <laughs> oh, my God. That was actually based off of Dick Turpin. Which Dick Turpin. Totally sounds like a fake name, but it is so fucking real. Oh, my God. Dick Turpin. What a dick. 
<laughs> is real. Dick Turpin was our real Iggy Adams, a highwayman who played at the Essex and York areas of England in the 1730s. He is the perfect example of my favorite topic, the legend becoming bigger than the history itself. Okay. And like, that is my favorite topic because, <laughs> fun fact about me, I wrote a 20 page research paper on Jack the Ripper and how the facts got misconstrued by all of the fictional adaptations and legends. That's my favorite thing to do, is things that get overshadowed by the fictionalized, fanciful versions of it. And that's why I really liked jumping into this Highwayman topic, because most of the Highwayman as a genre is through, like, the fictionalized lens of, oh my god, what a dashing rogue. It's like, no, these guys literally just robbed people on the road, right? Right, like, they... The idea of them takes on a life of its own via the people who tell their stories or interact with them briefly, and then when you try to find concrete facts. It, like, it kind of is, like, difficult to, like, find, like, concrete facts. And, like, I probably could have chosen a different highwayman to make it a little bit more of a, like, a struggle. I think I did make it a little bit of a struggle. You were deliberating oh, for a minute. Oh, yes. I wasn't, I wasn't, like, this is clearly it. I was just like, all right, what are... We we have our strategies when yeah. it comes to this. It's like, right, what is so outlandish you couldn't make it up? Or what is so outlandish there's yeah. no way that happened? Yeah, and exa- exactly that. Dick Turpin is probably, arguably, one of the, the, the most famous by name highwayman in, like, history. Like, uh, if we're talking about 17th century, or 18th century, rather. 1700s, 18th century. Uh, highwayman. He's, like, the most notable one in England, despite not actually having done too damn much like in but, terms of his actual loot or even his body count yeah. oh there's just not a lot of information body count, there's not a lot of information well there is but like it's like yeah bitch did nothing and he's not that special but what made him so special were the later adaptations of his life you know so like dick turpin is arguably one of the worst highwaymen <laughs> And not in how heinous his deeds were, but he was pretty damn lame. The The thing about, like, the postman recognizing his handwriting is true. That is how he got caught. And also he was arrested because he killed someone else's chicken. Like, of all the things to, like, get caught doing. Right, like, out of all the bizarre things. Of all of the things. Those are, like, true facts. <laughs> like, I love that. And, like, um. As fun as those were, I'm like, hey, I'm gonna be honest, by the end I forgot about the chicken. But the postman, I was like, really? I'm like, who would make that up? That is so outlandish, it must be true. Yeah, and exactly, exactly that. And so, like, there's actually this um, fascination that the English had with um, the lives of criminals. There was a book written by Bayes, a man who witnessed much of Dick Turpin's crimes during the time. Like, literally even, like, reported his crimes. <laughs> like, he was a re- essentially a reporter who followed this man's yeah. career. Yeah, and he wrote a book called The True Life of Richard Turpin, wherein the facts in this book were more or less than true. <laughs> like, there was some sort of, like, statements that were, like, true facts, but a lot of it was kind of embellished to sort of rustle up the crowd a little so bit. So he said, this is the true story. And then and then, lied. and then proceeded to write a fan fiction. He said this is the true story when really it was based on a true story. Based on a true story. And then there is a later gothic novel written in 1834 called Rockwood. You'll note that I, I yes, directly Rockwood used that Manor. Name. 
by William Harrison Ainsworth, which featured Turpin as a side character. Um, so that whole little anecdote that I had about like the rich couple, the rich couple, and everything. That was that was a lie. I lied That's, with it. I lied big time within my true contract. So that was directly from the novel. That was directly from the novel. Um, from what I could get from Sparknotes. <laughs> um, because again, he was a side character and not a main character, so that wasn't the main plot. But the whole thing about like that bet, and also even that like fabled like traveling two hundred miles in a, a single night, like he would not be able to do that. That's physically impossible. And I called the horse White Willa. I, f- I faked that name, but the horse of reality is also non-existent. In the novel, his horse is named Black Bess, but that <laughs> is actually not true either. <laughs> okay, so we there's there's three degrees of lies in this story. There there's is so many lies. the documented facts, there are the fictions made up by those directly after him or during his time period. That have been attributed to fact. And then there's your lies. And then there's my lies. There's multiple levels of lies here. (laughs) Right. So when you say the real versus the fake, we're talking history's lies versus your lies. Versus my lies. So I included the the fictional horse, but also changed the name of said fictional horse to fictionalize it even further. So you said White Willa and it really was... Black Bess, but also it really didn't exist. (laughs) Right. Well, it, it in the book. It in the book. I like White Willow better. <laughs> Come on, Black Bess. <laughs> I mean, that's fantastic. I just like Willa. Um, also, like, that daring escape from London to York, um, though featured in many novelizations, have actually been accounted to different highwaymen. Like, he might not have even done something similar like that. So they like, just, they took a smaller character and said, what if we just merged you what together? What if we just blended you together? And I just, I just really like the fact that there are so many of these histor- historical biographies written about not only Dick Turpin but many other criminals of the time that like people were just as true crime junkie back then as they are now. Oh, the morbid um, fascination is not a new thing, and these like fudge fact biographies are the precursor to the modern novel. So, like, they're ah. kind of what, like, preluded our saucy romance novels that feature a highwayman. Like, oh my god, look so, so dashing so daring. this feels very much like the historical romances you might read. Yeah. Like, the time happened, the character was a person, but we've made up all the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's just fascinating because there's really just not much to go on like the letter thing was true the Gregory gang thing was true like I didn't even change the name of that like he did join a gang in his like early youth and started poaching and everything the going in with a rich aristocrat and playing matchmaker is not true I pulled those directly from the Rockwood novel he was not the quintessential gentleman robber okay though like some people like still call him like that because of that idea of Dick Turpin he wasn't a dandy and I lied about his height. <laughs> uh, there I will is... say, when you said he was 6'2 and handsome, I'm like, all right, you sound like a man lying on a dating profile. I am a man di- lying on a dating profile. There is one, like, clear record of, like, a report of him, and it, it states that he is 5'9", <laughs> wore drab gray frock coats, and his face was marred by smallpox, like, scars. So really not mm. handsome at all. Yeah, that's a different picture. But... I'm still really mad because I'm going to also submit a little bit of another special interest of mine. There is a song about Dick Turpin 
by my favorite stupid little show called Horrible Histories. Oh my god. I know. And they have the actor Matthew Bainton portraying him. And he's a cutie patootie. And I'm like, you're not helping the fact that he is not supposed to be a cutie patootie. It's like, (laughs) you're saying he's not supposed to be a dandy, but then look at the mirror, Matthew. You're a dandy. (laughs) Matthew, be honest with yourself. Um, I changed plenty of names. Like, his friend Nate Prince was actually Matt King. Gotcha. Things like that. Wait, Um, how'd you you up with his name? His name? I (laughs) came up with his name because... So you remember how I mentioned earlier the Adam and the Ants song, yes. Stand and Deliver, where it kind of takes that highwayman aesthetic? Yes. Adam's is from Adam and the Ants, and Iggy, I went with the whole rock star angle. I went Iggy oh my because God. of Iggy Pop. <laughs> wow. So yeah, <laughs> he was tried and hanged for his crimes, but of his crimes just being horse theft. Like, literally oh, they, all yeah, of the they, murders, they, they, they didn't add anything else. They were just like, horse thief, death. Um, because I mean, horse th- theft was a capital offense. I'm like, if enough. you've already charged something that's gonna kill him, do you, unless, like, the victims at families are advocating for justice, yeah. do you really need to attribute them, in their eyes, like, their eyes right. are like, he's gonna die anyway, let's just charge him with what's gonna kill him, and then we'll move on. Exactly. So, anyway, to sum up Dick Turpin, much of what we know about, quote-unquote, know of Dick Turpin's more glamorized life is really just that, a glamour that has immortalized him somehow over other highwaymen, like, that were his contemporaries at the time, with even more serious, like, accolades to their name. But I think his name, being Dick Turpin, <laughs> is what has, like, made it, like, catchy. Like, they, there, there was other guys where it's like, yeah, his name is, like, George so-and-so, and it's like, nah, man. Dick Turpin. They do say a great name makes or breaks you. Dick Turpin, everybody. <laughs> and now moving on to our fictionalized case. Let yes. me let me do my little reveal on that. So our fictional case is actually just based off of the song The Highwayman by Lorena McKennett. But it's originally like all of the lyrics of her song is based off of the poem of the same name by English poet Alfred Noyes. That's where I got the last ah. name. Um it's a feast for like your visual senses and auto like auditory senses. Both of my cases I chose because of songs. <laughs> one horrible histories, Dick Turpin, and the other one, The Highwayman by Lorena McIntyre. Listen, McKinnon. I'm not here to judge how you get your um, cases. Yeah. And also, fun fact, how I was introduced to this song in general, which has like almost like an Irish slash Scottish like lilt to it. It's so narratively driven. I please, please listen to it. I was introduced to it, though, in my online gothic literature class in my senior year of high school, wherein the professor literally sent the link to a video that was using The Sims 2 as, like, a way to animate the poem. What? Yeah, so there's this little genre on the interwebs called, like, machinima, and it's, like, using, like, video games to, like, animate things, especially The Sims, and this is, it was, like, filmed using The Sims, too. <laughs> Part of me feels like I can't be mad at that, so I'm like, well, you know, use your resources, do what you can do if you can't animate, you're trying to build on storytelling, but the other part of me is like, 
what the actual fuck yeah. are we doing? But the the story that the poem actually covers is really just that death. Everything else I embellished through other cases of like highway robbery and like basically just basing it off of <laughs> what I researched for Dick Turpin and adapting it into a backstory. But the story of the poem goes along with like this romance between the dashing highwayman figure and this innkeeper's daughter and then how she sacrifices herself to warn him and everything. But it's a beautiful poem. I definitely recommend it. And another reason I put the name Kit in there is because I, back like last year, was reading a novel called The Queer Principles of Kit Webb. Happy Pride Month, everyone. It <laughs> features a highwayman main character named, I think he's Kit Webb. Yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Kit Webb is the highwayman. There's a different dandy in there. It's a very gay novel. He falls in love with a, like, British nobleman's son, and it's very cute, and I haven't finished it. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> anyway, so I stole the name Kit from that. I love it. I think that's yeah. fantastic. Also, the anecdote about the uh, the stealing of flowers, the stealings of specifically lupins, I actually stole from Monty Python's Flying Circus, Season 3, Episode 11, Donnie Moore, wherein the highwayman of the same name, Donnie Moore, robs a carriage, not of their money, but of flowers, and then just gives them to some random poor couple. What? And then there's a song sung about him, too. There's so many songs about highwaymen, fictional or otherwise. Oh, I have no, so, yeah. I have no proper reaction to that. Yeah, well, it's just something I <laughs> I found in my in my research and I'm, trying to do you. That's a lovely little tidbit I'm glad you included. Yeah, I just, I thought it would help beef it up, but mm-hmm. also be like, weird flex, but okay. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Other than that, I, like, straight up made so much things, like, so many things up. <laughs> uh, like, like, including, but not limited to, the innkeeper's name. The da- the daughter's name is based off of Lorena McKinnon's name. Like, And what name did you give her in your story? Lorena. Okay. Yes. <laughs> like, straight up. I named various British soldiers that don't exist. Lord Trimbley, Eliza Riley, and Killian Webster. They do not have an existence in the narrative of the songs I chose, the episodes I chose. I just lied. I just your, lied big okay. time. And let's, yes, when we say you lied, they are of your own creation. They are of my own creation. So anyway, uh, circling back to the imagery of the poem real quick and tying it back with the theme of this episode, the theme being Highway Month. Yes. Um, it's so interesting in the way that we write things or skew things that can make someone into a hero or or break them, you know. Yeah. Um, the the Highwayman poem that I based my entire fictional case on, mixed with other fictionalizations about Highwaymen, help add to that narrative of creating it almost as this anti-hero dashing and like romantic character. But when you strip the facts down to the bare bones, the truth is so much less glamorous, whether or not it's me lying to you, or Dick Turpin didn't actually do that much, but damn, he's still regarded as a hero. Hero. Or infamous Right, like, he, people still refer to him as, like, you know, this broad stroke of what a high main, highwayman was. Yeah. Even though, even though the field is robbing and potentially killing people, he didn't add much to it. Right, exactly. So it it really proves the point that the way that we tell these stories matter. 
But now we're getting too deep, and that's like the whole shtick of our show too. Is the way that we, the way that we present stories to you matter, and the way that media presents stories to you matters. So if you found anything of interest in either, like either of these cases, whether or not you now want to go check out that Sims two, like that mission of a please version, link that. Uh, I'll see if I can find it. And like, I would love if you could. Uh, it's literally like freaking like ten years ago. But I'll find but some how sort many, of like, how many of them could there be? I just don't know if that video still exists. But oh, I like will. If it's still on YouTube. Yeah, if that's still on YouTube. But I'll try and like send a, like a link to like the a good clip of the Highwayman poem, or you can find it on Spotify or anything like that. And also check out horrible histories and their songs, including their one of Dick Turpin, which, funny enough, also like like riffs off of. The Adam and the Ant song. Oh my like, god! Like tone wise, and I'm just like, oh, it comes full circle, man. You have um, this whole little world of highwaymen media. I do. Not much of it is true, <laughs> but it is all interesting. It's all, and it's all my favorite thing. But yeah, like I'll put like links to the highwaymen songs and any links to like further interest on like the actual history of Dick Turpin because it is fascinating because most of it is bullshit <laughs> like yeah i didn't have to do much of my job here today <laughs> you said people have already bullshitted this story for me exactly i really did and with that i think we're done here i love this so much i was happy to get it right um <laughs> to be quite honest i'm I'm a sore winner. I'm happy when I get things right. But no, I really did have to think about that. Like, I'm like, I didn't recognize either case. Like, I'm still quite sure the gentleman robber I'm thinking of is a completely different person. Yeah. And yeah, it really was just like, it It was the, the postman that threw me off, or threw me in the right direction. And I'm like, the love story, even though from a modern lens, I'm like, this is tragic and awful and you should never do that for a man. I'm like, it's so romanticized to the point where I'm like, someone said, I would like to write a tragic love story. This is how I shall do it. And I ate it up, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you, let's be honest, if you had presented that to me in like a film version and the film version had romanticized our main character more and like made him a little less shitty. I would have completely ate up that story. Uh, there's so many film adaptations of, like, Dick Turpin. Actually, there's, I think there's, like, a new one going to be released on Apple TV sometime soon. Really? I know. So it's, like, I, I'm wondering if it's going to be more factual or if it's going to be more, again, yet another over-romanticizing of it. Because there's been, like, silent films where, again, it takes almost that anti-hero. Right. I feel like the lens. Highwayman really lends itself to the anti-hero where it's, like, they're a bad guy. We're not saying they're not a bad guy. But isn't but, he so bad? But what if he was a bad guy for okay reasons? Yeah. And what if he was hot? And what if he was hot? Oh my goodness. But, yeah. Not as uncomfortable as we we could get, but, you know, there's some... I still, I was still, I'm still sad about Loretta. <laughs> that whole idea just makes sense. Also, I'm just sorry for my voice, everyone. It is like eleven. Oh, it's so hot. I worked a long day. It's hot and I'm I have slumped to almost horizontal. <laughs> it's I'm, okay. We're I'm sticking it out, but up. my voice is getting very much um raspy sleepy. Hey, raspy. Hey, you know if you sound. know. Raspy's a good sound. But anyway. Alright, folks. This has been True Crime or Tall Tale. I'm Jack. I'm Kat. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>